Chapter Seven of A Country Doctor by Sarah Orne Jewett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven, for the years to come. Late one summer afternoon, Doctor Leslie was waked from an unusually long after-dinner nap by Marilla's footsteps along the hall. She remained standing in the doorway, looking at him for a provoking length of time, and finally sneezed in her most obtrusive and violent manner. At this he sat up quickly and demanded to be told what was the matter, adding that he had been out half the night before, which was no news to the faithful housekeeper. "'There, I'm sure I didn't mean to wake you up,' she said, with an apparent lack of self-reproach. "'I never can tell whether you were asleep or only kind of drowsin'. There was a boy here, just now, from old Miss Cunningham's, over on the Boylan Spring Road. They want you to come over quick as convenient. She don't know nothin', the boy said. "'Never did,' grumbled the doctor. "'I'll go toward night, but I can't do her any good.' "'And Miss Thatcher is out here waitin' too, but she says if you're busy she'll go along to the stores and stop as she comes back. She looks to me as if she was breakin' up,' confided Marilla in a lower tone. "'Tell her I'm ready now,' answered the doctor in a more cordial tone, and though he said half to himself and half to Marilla that here was another person who expected him to cure old age, he spoke compassionately and as if his heart were heavy with the thought of human sorrow and suffering. But he greeted Mrs. Thatcher most cheerfully, and joked about Marilla's fear of a fly as he threw open the blinds of the study window which was best shaded from the sun. Mrs. Thatcher did indeed look changed, and the physician's quick eyes took note of it, and as he gathered up some letters and newspapers which had been strewn about just after dinner, he said kindly that he hoped she had no need of a doctor. It was plain that the occasion seemed an uncommon one to her. She wore her best clothes, which would not have been necessary for one of her usual business trips to the village, and it seemed to be difficult for her to begin her story. Dr. Leslie, taking a purely professional view of the case, began to consider what form of tonic would be most suitable, whether she had come to ask for one or not. "'I want to have a good talk with you about the little gal, Nanny, you know,' she said at last and the doctor nodded, and explaining that there seemed to be a good deal of draught through the room, crossed the floor and gently shut the door which opened into the hall. He smiled a little as he did it, having heard the long breath outside which was the not unfamiliar signal of Marilla's presence. If she were curious she was a discreet keeper of secrets, and the doctor had more than once indulged her in her sinful listening, by way of friendliness and reward. But this subject promised to concern his own affairs too closely, and he became wary of the presence of another pair of ears. He was naturally a man of uncommon reserve, and most loyal in keeping his patients' secrets. If clergymen knew their congregations as well as physicians do, the sermons would be often more closely related to the parish needs. It was difficult for the world to understand why, when Dr. Leslie was anything but prone to gossip, Marilla should have been possessed of such a wealth of knowledge of her neighbor's affairs. Strange to say, this wealth was for her own miserly pleasure and not to be distributed, and while she often proclaimed with exasperating triumph that she had known for months some truth just discovered by others, she was regarded by her acquaintances as if she were a dictionary written in some foreign language, immensely valuable but of no practical use to themselves. It was sometimes difficult not to make an attempt to borrow from her store of news, but nothing delighted her more than to be so approached and to present impenetrable barriers of discretion to the enemy. "'How is Nanny getting on?' the doctor asked. "'She looks stronger than she did a year ago.' "'Dear me, she's as wild as ever,' answered Mrs. Thatcher, trying to smile. "'But I've been distressed about her lately, night and day. 
I thought perhaps I might see you going by. She's getting to be a great girl, doctor, and I ain't fit to cope with her. I find my strength's a-goin', and I'm old before my time. All my folks was rugged and sound long past my age, but I've had my troubles. You don't need I should tell you that. Poor Adeline always give me a feelin' as if I was a hen that has hatched ducks. I never knew exactly how to do for her. She seemed to see everything so different, and Lord only knows how I worry about her, and always did, thinkin' if I'd seen clearer how to do my duty, her life might have come out sort of better. And it's the same with little Anna. Not that she's so prone to evil as some. She's a lovin'-hearted child if ever one was born, but she's a piece of mischief, and it may come from her father's folks and their ways of livin'. But she's made a different stuff, and I ain't fit to make answer for her, or for fetchin' of her up. I come to ask if you won't kindly advise what's best for her. I don't know anything's got to be done for a good spell yet. I mind what you say about lettin' her run and get strong, and I don't check her. Only it seemed to me that you might want to speak about her some time, and not do it for fear of wrong in my judgment. I declare I haven't no judgment about what's reasonable for her, and you're her guardian, and there's the money her father's sister has sent her. "'Twould burn my fingers to touch a cent of it, but by and by, if you think she ought to have schoolin' or anything else, you must just say so. "'I think nothing better could have been done for the child than you have done,' said Dr. Leslie warmly. "'Don't worry yourself, my good friend. As for books, she will take to them of her own accord quite soon enough, and in such weather as this I think one day in the fields is worth five in the schoolhouse. I'll do the best I can for her.' Mrs. Thatcher's errand had not yet been told, though she fumbled in her pocket and walked to the open window to look for the neighbor's wagon by which she was to find conveyance home, before she ventured to say anything more. "'I don't know as my time'll come for some years yet,' she said, at length, falteringly. "'But I have had borne in upon my mind a good many ways this summer that I ain't going to stay here a great while. I've been troubled considerable by the same complaints that carried my mother off, and I'm built just like her.' I don't feel no concern for myself, but it's going to leave the child without anybody of her own to look to. There's plenty will befriend her just so long as she's got means, and the old farm will sell for something besides what she's got already, but that ain't everything, and I can't seem to make up my mind to have of her boarded about. If it was so your wife had lived, I should know what I'd go down on my knees to her to do, but I can't ask it of you to be burdened with a young child a-growin' up. The doctor listened patiently, though just before this he had risen and begun to fill a small bottle at the closet shelves, which was stocked close to their perilous edges with various drugs. Without turning to look at his patient, he said, "'I wish you would take five or six drops of this three times a day, and let me see you again within a week or two. And while the troubled woman turned to look at him with half surprise, he added, "'Don't give yourself another thought about little Nan. If anything should happen to you, I shall be glad to bring her here, and to take care of her as if she were my own.' I've always liked her, and it will be as good for me as for her. I would not promise it for any other child, but if you had not spoken to-day, I should have found a way to arrange with you the first chance that came. But I'm getting to be an old fellow myself, he laughed. I suppose if I get through first you will be friendly to Marilla, and Mrs. Thatcher let a faint sunbeam of a smile shine out from the depths of the handkerchief with which she was trying to stop a great shower of tears. Marilla was not without her little vanities, and being thought youthful was one of the chief desires of her heart. So Mrs. Thatcher went away lighter-hearted than she came. She asked the price of the vial of medicine, and was answered that they would talk about that another time, 
Then there was a little sober joking about certain patients who never paid their doctor's bills at all because of a superstition that they would immediately require his aid again. Dr. Leslie stood in his study doorway and watched her drive down the street with Martin Dyer. It seemed to him only a year or two since both the man and the woman had been strong and vigorous. Now they both looked shrunken, and there was a wornness and feebleness about the bodies which had done such good service. "'Come and go,' said the doctor to himself, one generation after another. "'Getting old, all the good old-fashioned people on the farms. I shall never care so much to be at the beck and call of their grandchildren, but I must mend up these old folks, and do the best I can for them as long as they stay. They're good friends to me.' Dear me, how it used to fret me when I was younger to hear them always talking about old Dr. Wayland and what he used to do, and here I am, the old doctor myself. And then he went down the gravel walk toward the stable with a quick, firm step, which many a younger man might have envied, to ask for a horse. You may saddle him, he directed. I'm only going to old Mrs. Cunningham's, and it's a cool afternoon. Dr. Leslie had ridden less and less every year of his practice, but for some reason best known to himself, he went down the village street at a mad pace. Indeed, almost everyone who saw him felt that it was important to go to the next house to ask if it were known for what accident or desperate emergency he had been called away. End of chapter 7